Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the third episode, meaning it is the Daniel Ricardo episode of the podcast. Everyone's favorite Aussie driver. I know it's my girlfriend's favorite driver, but uh, we don't have to get into that. Um, so we just had quite a race in Saudi Arabia, the Jeddah Cornish circuit under the lights. It's always beautiful scenery. Um, I guess a bit of a story in uh, practice on Friday. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot, but for those who who somehow didn't find out about this, um, there was attack, an attack on an oil refinery just uh, 10 or so miles away from the track. Maybe it was closer. I, I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong, but um, yeah, and there was a huge cloud of smoke that you could see in the background of a, a, a photograph taken, I think, of Lewis Hamilton's car. Um, a huge black cloud of smoke because this, this oil refinery was on fire and, um, it was, uh, apparently, I'm not sure if this was confirmed, apparently an attack by the Houthi rebels in Saudi Arabia, uh, some inner conflict they have going on there. And there was a four hour driver meeting, um, before qualifying whether or not they would actually continue with the weekend, um, based on the events that had transpired. But Uh, The conclusion of that four-hour meeting was that they would continue on, and uh, it wasn't really necessarily a popular decision, Um, but I think they made the right choice, to be honest. Um, I think Total Wolf said it best, was, you know, um, those type of things, they happen in Saudi Arabia, and frankly, the safest place to be in that country was the racetrack, so... I think it was probably a, a, an okay decision to go ahead with the Grand Prix weekend. So that, that's all I'll say on that. And uh, I just want to get into qualifying because what an odd session that we saw. Um, I can't even think of a qualifying session last year that I can say, wow, that was, I don't want to say it was an, an insanely incredible qualifying session. It just It was just weird. We see, first of all, Lewis Hamilton out in Q1. Uh, The the last time he was out in Q1 was Brazil 2017, but that's because of a crash. The last time he purely just out of of qualifying on pace was in 2009 when there was new regulations, of course, again with McLaren. He was driving for McLaren. Um, and they, they were really caught out by the new regs, uh, then I know McLaren did not have a great start. And, um, obviously that's how Braun GP, uh, won their title that year was just nailing those regulations. I think they won like the first six races of the season or something like that. Um, right off of the back of Lewis's championship in 2008, when McLaren was very strong, um, but yeah, so that that's obviously the first, um, just an absolute outlier of Lewis Hamilton's career, basically with Mercedes. The worst, the probably the worst qualifying session he's had with them. Um, and then obviously in Q1, we also get Nicholas Latifi bringing out a red flag for uh, a crash. Um, and then in Q2, another crash, we see Mick Schumacher, a huge shunt, um, and that was that was a scary moment. I know everyone kind of has a bit of a soft spot for Mick because of uh, who his father is and anyone who watched the Schumacher documentary. Um, probably one of the the best, I, I, I hesitate to use the word best because it was sad, but 
um, that moment where he says he just wishes he had the opportunity to talk to his father about racing because not very many people speak that language and no one in his family speaks that language, but he doesn't have the opportunity to talk to his father who just epitomized greatness um, due to that skiing accident he had in 2013 and he is still recovering from. So to see to see Mick uh, take so long to get out of the car, I think everyone, um, I think everyone, I, I don't know if a lot of people really did assume the worst. I know I didn't. I felt confident that he was okay, but you never, ever like to see a driver knock it out of the, his car right away. It's always scary. Um, I think it's come out now that the crash was 33 G. So that, that's still very hefty. Sure, it's not Max Verstappen's 51 or whatever it was in Silverstone. But 33 G is still no joke. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad Mick came out. He seemed honestly fine. There's some pictures of him being um, aided by the ambulance and all the uh, workers um, that came down onto the track. And it looked so bad. But then seeing his Instagram posts after and then him walking around in the garage, like he looks completely okay. And I guess he wanted to race. So it's kind of crazy, man, the safety of these Formula One cars, um, because that looked awful. I mean, his car was in two. Uh, the broadcast was talking about how the cars were actually made to break apart um, this year for safety reasons. I I'm not really fully understanding that, but that's what they were talking about. So, I mean, sure, it might look worse to the crowd seeing his car basically hanging on by like a hydraulic tube but i guess that's actually how they were designed so yeah so in q2 that obviously was the story of the session in q3 we have george russell looking just fine in the other mercedes i think this proves that they probably did make a setup error with lewis's car we all know the quality of lewis hamilton and 16th on the grid just is not it there was a huge gap between these two drivers and p6 isn't exactly what george russell would want being uh behind an alpine but esteban Ocon had a great qualifying uh finishing p5 um those two would swap positions in the race but i want to get into who finished p4 in qualifying and that is max verstappen he qualifies in a shocking fourth place he's complaining on the radio about having zero grip which um I guess tire temperatures are a bit of a factor here and getting those temps um, is crucial for your lap. So um, he might have been struggling with that. Uh, Signs, uh, he was third on the grid. Leclerc, P2, meaning Sergio Perez outqualifies Max for the second time as Red Bull teammates. The only other time he did it last season was in Imola when Sergio, I think, beat out Max by like a hair Uh to finish second, Max third on the grid, and uh, Lewis got pulled that day. But yeah, uh, Sergio Perez waits the longest time in Formula One history to claim his maiden pole. Uh, I think it's 200 or something odd races, and the in second was like 170. Um, it, it was a great lap for Checo. I'm I'm so happy that uh, he was able to grab that pole. Because we all know qualifying is not really his forte. Nobody, nobody questions his racecraft. But qualifying, it's never really been um, his strength. So to see him claim his pole in that Red Bull car that is just looking mighty right now. Um, I was very, very happy for him. Unfortunately, things did not go his way 
in the race. Perez fell down to fourth, and Max Verstappen was your race winner. However, that doesn't tell the story of the Grand Prix at all. Uh, the Red Bulls, they had the power at this circuit, and it was very evident, gaining, gaining, gaining on the straights all the time. Um, but it was also showing in the early stages of the Grand Prix with, with Perez. He didn't have a bad race. He was pulling away from Charles Leclerc, who was in P2. Um, over the team radio, I don't I don't remember exactly how many laps in, but they told, uh, this, this is Ferrari team radio, they told their drivers that the Red Bulls had higher tire degradation, meaning that uh, the Red Bulls could struggle at the end of their stints. Uh, Ferrari, so I think in probably reaction to the realization that their degradation and their tires are, I guess, in much better shape, they bluff Perez to come into the pits uh, and make an, yeah, make an early stop. And that ruined his race just like that because Latifi uh, crashed again just a few laps later. Uh, it brought out the safety car and it allowed Leclerc, Verstappen, and Sainz all to overcut Perez with uh, with a cheap pit stop because, of course, everyone's going very slow around a safety car. It is not the same amount of time lost as Perez when everyone was still driving full speed. And Perez comes out uh, behind those three and actually tangles with Carlos Sainz right out, out of the pits, but he had to give up that that position back. Uh, from there, we were... We were subjected to another great battle involving more DRS tactics between Leclerc and Verstappen. But this time, the Dutchman came out on top with some serious race pace. Um, at the end of the Grand Prix, Max was flying, and he was just right on the back of Leclerc. And I kept thinking, why why are you playing this DRS game with him? Just stay behind him going into the last straight. You have so much more straight line speed. I think Leclerc knew that, and that's why he tried to keep playing these games and then Max finally just, he played it right. He, he got his opportunity, and it was a very easy overtake. Leclerc, he fought back, but in reality, they just didn't have the straight line speed that Red Bull had that day. And that is what ultimately won Max the Grand Prix. Uh, Leclerc would take fastest lap, though, uh, to extend his lead in the Drivers' Championship. So I'm happy, happy for Leclerc. Um, as for the other finishers, Esteban Ocon was P6 in the race. He had a pretty good race. Um, he was slower than Fernando. I, I, I'm Actually, you know what? I, I'll get into that later, the whole Alpine battle. Uh, but the end of the race, Ocon uh, had a little drag race with Lando Norris. If you remember last year, Esteban Ocon had the exact same moment almost, but vice versa with Valtteri Bottas. When Bottas took Ocon's uh, P3 position on the last straight, a drag race to the line, and Bottas got him. This time, Ocon was in front, and he stayed ahead of Lando Norris, who was trying to take P6 from him. So, yeah, Esteban is off to a great start in his F1 career. He is also P6 in the championship. Um, I believe with 14 points in the first two races, so uh, props to you, Esteban. So P7 was obviously Lando Norris, and that's McLaren's first points of the season. He only lost out by one-tenth, as I mentioned, uh, with that drag race to the line. P8 was Pierre Gasly. P9 was Kevin Magnussen in the Haas, again scoring for the American unit. And P10, you're probably wondering, I haven't said his name yet, P10 was Sir Lewis Hamilton. He, he had a nice recovery drive. He made it all the way up to P6 until he got more bad luck with safety car. It, it cost him dearly. A very weird situation, but I think um, 
Monza 2020 probably was in his mind. And uh, that virtual safety car that came out, he wasn't sure if the pit lane was closed or open. He had a chance to go in, but there was confusion because I think it was Ricardo who was parked right in front of the pit lane entry. I, I really just think he did not want to get that five-second penalty that he got in Monza in 2020. And ultimately, that's what cost him. It would have been weird to go into the pits because I think, obviously, there was a yellow flag. You can't overtake. He sees a car going slowly. He obviously still overtakes on track, but it's, he thinks you're going into the pits. He doesn't want to overtake them into the pits. I don't know. I don't know the process there, but uh, Peter Bonington, his race engineer, a.k.a. Bono, uh, told him to come into the pits, and I think Lewis was just a little bit distracted by that Ricardo um, slowing down into the pits and just went past him. Bono sold him to box box again, but it was too late, and ultimately it, it really cost Lewis. Uh, he fell down to 12th and recovered back to 10th to at least grab one point, but that's that's not where Lewis Hamilton wants to be. On the team radio after the race, he said uh, he, he asked Bono if he even gets a point for finishing 10th, which I thought, I think he clearly knows he does, but was a little funny um, nugget there. Uh, so in the constructors, we have Ferrari taking a huge lead. Uh, Mercedes narrowly holding on to second, Red Bull in third, and one race time. I think we'll see Red Bull uh, probably pass Mercedes. You never know. Reliability uh, is obviously going to play a huge factor as there was, I don't even know how many DNFs. I think there was 12 classified drivers, maybe 13. Uh, Schumacher did not start. Yuki Tsunoda did not start. Bottas DNF. Alonso DNF. Ricardo DNF. Albon DNF. Joe, did Joe finish? I, I don't know. But that is just, it's crazy how many drivers did not finish that race. Um... I, I think it was it was 12 or 13 for sure. Anyways, P4, Alpine, who who could have had a very nice haul of points because Fernando Alonso was having himself a race. But like I said, we will get into Alpine in a moment. In fifth, we have Haas. Six is Alfa Romeo, who scored no points today, uh, followed by Alfa Tari and McLaren. Then the zero-point scorers are Aston Martin and Williams. Hopefully, we get to see Seb back in Aston uh, for Melbourne. It's been sad not seeing Seb on the grid these uh, past two races. I I actually like Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, I think he's a quality reserve. I think he is he's a good driver. Um, but Seb is Seb is Seb. He, we want to see him race, and uh, we'll see what he'll be able to do in this Aston Martin. Who's yeah, they're not looking good right now. So let's see what Seb can get out of the car in Australia. Hopefully, he's ready to go. So, of course, Australia is not next week. It is uh, two weeks from now. F1 taking their first, I guess, weekend break of the season. Uh, so, there won't be any predictions because it's two weeks away. I'll do my predictions next week. So, let's move on to uh, the segment that I introduced for last race called the prize, demise, and surprise. So, uh, we'll get into some talking points afterwards, but my prize... I think it's got to go to Red Bull and Max. I think uh, the question mark was, are they going, like, they had the engine problems in Bahrain, of course, that cost them a huge, huge haul of points. Uh, and they aced it. They were, they they didn't have, they didn't seem to have any problems. 
and they were the fastest car on track. Uh, I th- like look, Ferrari was able to put in equal lap times, but I think it was very evident that Red Bull had the better package for for Jetta, and that's ultimately why Max won the Grand Prix. He drove a great race too, Max. So I, that's why I wanted to give it to kind of both of them. Uh, he pipped signs right at the beginning of the race. Who you know, it, it's not guaranteed that Max was going to pass signs uh very easily um if it was normal race scenario but to do it right on lap one was i think key for his race and then he was basically in that fight with perez and leclerc just holding on obviously safety cars played a big part in that race um but he was also very smart uh in biding his time to catch leclerc in the dying laps of the race a very well-deserved victory um and that's why he and his team earn my prize i Again, horrible luck for Perez, but, you know, he, he honestly, he deserves a bit of a prize too for his excellent weekend and just very, very tough luck. Now my demise. Uh, there's there's a few that I could go with here, and I think, um, I mean, I've already kind of got into it, uh, but I'm giving it to Lewis Hamilton. Um, it's his worst weekend as a Mercedes driver. I don't think you can really question that. I, like I said, he did show solid race pace. He got all the way back to P6, uh, kind of carving through the field on the hard tire, which I thought was impressive work from Lewis. They said they made a setup error in qualifying that cost him uh, basically his Q1 exit, but he looked quite fine in the race. There was rumors that they were going to break Park Ferme rules and make changes to the car because it was that undrivable, but... He, he took the race with the setup he had in qualifying, and he seemed like he was doing fine. So, yeah, that was that was odd. Obviously, the horrible luck in the end, P10. But just on that qualifying effort alone, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, I'll, I'll throw them in there too. They have to be uh, the demise. I, I'm, I think they're going to hope that later in this season they'll be able to look back at Bahrain and Jeddah and possibly these next few races and laugh at them. But it's getting, sure, it's a long season, but you can't be waiting this long when Ferrari and Red Bull are taking huge points at every race. The The championship is already slipping away from Mercedes as far as I'm concerned. So they'll, they'll definitely want to be fixing these problems very soon. And that's a, very, that's a question that we might get into later. Maybe we'll talk about next week, but... Yeah, Mercedes is definitely one of the stories of the season, how far off they are from the top two teams. So, yeah, like I said, a lot of people could have got this demise. So I'm going to give an honorable mention to Nicholas Latifi, who we're also going to talk about in a moment. My surprise, and finally, we get to talk about this, the Alpine battle. I'm not giving a surprise to a driver or a team. I'm giving a surprise to that battle at the very beginning of the Grand Prix between Fernando Alonso and Ocon. Esteban Ocon, I think, was clearly the slower driver of the two as when Fernando pulled up to Esteban, Fernando was laughing faster. There's no question about that. And I'm not sure what happened to Alonso later in the race when he broke down, but you know, that that battle might have played a part in it. I I actually just researched today, you know, what was the reason that Alonso wasn't able to finish the race, and I still couldn't find anything, so I thought that was very odd. 
So I'm also wondering if Alpine is kind of playing this close to the chest because they know that letting their two drivers race like that cost Alonso his race. He was driving phenomenally. I think P7, maybe even P6 was on the cards for Alonso. And he comes out with nothing. Of course, Ocon kind of picked up the uh, the slack by finishing P6 and still grabbing some points for the team who are up to P4 in the championship. So I do want to preface that I think the Racing Point team is, oh, I mean Alpine. Haha. <laughs> Those pink cars are just, they look so much like Racing Points, don't they? Um, I, I do want to preface by saying Alpine uh, is looking very quick. I think that uh, we're going to see a race soon where they're battling with Mercedes. I really believe that. Um, but I was very surprised by team principal Otmar Safnauer letting them race like that. You know, they Sky Sports broadcast anyways. That's the one I was watching. They radioed in to Otmar and talked to him and they're like, oh, the team's got to be holding their breath right now uh, watching these two race. And he's like, ah, oh, no, it's a uh, great clean racing. Uh, we're going to let them race and uh, you'll see everything's going to pay off for us in the end. Like he was seemed so confident about it and he was very, very happy to let them race. We all know um, team orders can be a bad precedent um, at the, a very early in the season saying, oh, this one driver's faster than you let him out the way. So I, I understand letting them race, but it was very clear that that was costing them a lot of time. They brought Bottas right back into contention. And also it's interesting because Otnar has seen firsthand in 2018 a couple of pink cars battling just a little bit too much. Uh, in Singapore, I think Ocon was taken out by Perez. In Baku, they they ran into each other. They I don't even remember. I think Spa maybe? They, they, they ran into each other so much that season, and like I mentioned, the racing point, they look so similar. It's crazy that BWT livery is just the exact same, isn't it? Um, but, you know, I do think the relationship between Alonso and Ocon is different than that of Perez and Ocon back in uh, the Force India racing point days. So, yeah, you know, they talk so high of each other, you know, hungry. Alonso playing an ultimate team game for Ocon. Qatar, Esteban returning the favor. Obviously, he struggled. Perez was very quick in Qatar last year. And he, he gave up, he put up a great battle that ultimately did cost Perez time and maybe earned Alonso the podium. I know people kind of made some memes about that saying, Esteban, defend like a line. And then Perez passed him like the next lap. But Ocon was. He would, he gave it his all, and he didn't have to do that for his teammate. These guys these guys talk high of each other. You know, Ocon said, "I was it was a pleasure to race with Fernando," and Fernando mentioned as well that like he he didn't even say like, "Oh, I was clearly faster," or "He cost me time," or anything along those lines. He just said, "You know, Ocon was faster than me in Bahrain. I think something to do with our cars allowed me to be faster today." Um, and it was a great battle. Like, he didn't complain about it at all. He honestly complimented the battle that they had. So, yeah, I, I like I said, I understand not wanting to make the team orders, but I, that was some intense battling that they had going on. The whole time I'm watching the race, I'm thinking, what are they doing? Like, it's, yes, they're racers. They're going to race. Ocon, he sees that it's his teammate. He is not going to just let him through. But... Man, it just, they were 
battling for laps after laps after laps. And I'm just thinking, man, if these guys touch, they are going to get a stir and talking to. But, you know, it was very clean. And it was very, very exciting to watch. So I can't complain as a fan. I was just thinking the whole time, like, wow. But basically exactly what the broadcasters were thinking, like, Alpine team has to be just losing it right now. But anyway, I want to get into probably one of the most popular talking points right now in racing after these first two Grand Prix is DRS. DRS has been um, a huge part of these past two races. Uh, as we've seen multiple drivers, not just Leclerc, uh, be, they're playing chess at 300 kilometers an hour, uh, letting drivers by to claim DRS. I guess quickly, I'll explain what DRS is for those who might not know what it is. It of course stands for drag reduction system, and it's a flap on the rear wing of the car that you can open when you cross certain little white lines on the track called DRS detection points. And if you're within one second of the car in front, you can open that flap and you gain about uh, 20 kilometers an hour on the straights. It makes overtaking a lot easier. So that's kind of the purpose of it and and what it is. Um, racing purists, I can tell you right now, they, they hate it. And I can't imagine how they felt watching drivers slow down and allowing the cars behind them to pass the line first and then reclaiming DRS and, and grabbing that position back through the use of DRS. Um, so I, I, it's not really racing, is it? It's not really racing to be letting cars by you on purpose so you can gain a speeded, like an artificial speed advantage. So I guess this, this brings up the main question, is DRS too powerful now? Uh, these new regulations that, uh, that came in 2022, I think they're doing their job. You know, cars have been following way closer. I think we've been seeing racing in a, in a bit of a different way so far. I haven't heard a single, uh, team radio say it's hard to follow or anything to do with overheating because of the car in front, which we heard a lot from last year. Um, so it's kind of made DRS a bit, looks a bit ridiculous, but I think, what we have to remember is Jetta, especially Jetta, but Bahrain as well. These are unique tracks and they each have three DRS zones. Not very many tracks have three. Uh, I can think of Austria. The, the, it has three. Um, I can't even think of another one on the top of my head that has three. Uh, so these, these tracks specifically are making DRS look bad. Especially Jetta, because I, I really want to talk about this one. Some people want to change the track layout of Jetta because that second DRS zone, the one right before the last one on the main straight, and that main straight DRS is very, very powerful. We saw almost all the, the overtakes right there. And anyone who tried an overtake into the, uh, the final corner in the second DRS zone, a lot of the times they were retaken by the person who got the DRS. And that, that's where all those tactics came. Leclerc and Verstappen playing those tactics at least like three or four times during the race. Um, and we also saw it with Hamilton passing Magnussen and Magnussen reclaiming the position with the DRS in the main straight. A lot of people want to either change where the, the detection zone is so drivers can't do that or just get rid of that DRS zone to uh, just, just, yeah, just get rid of it because it brings the driver so close right into that final corner that as soon as you you get DRS for the main straight, it's just too easy. 
and it's it's artificial overtaking. So I, I get why people don't want it. It was it was kind of fun seeing those tactics. I'm not gonna lie, it was entertaining, but it's not racing. It's artificial. So I understand wanting to get rid of it. So I really just do think the issue is with Jetta's layout, not DRS. And as for Bahrain, um, I actually love the back-to-back -back DRS on the main straight and then through turns one, two, three, and then going on to that straight before turn four. I, I love that because it, it showed like Leclerc doing the right thing is getting that exit for turn four. I don't think Bahrain is an issue. I actually like um, the DRS in Bahrain. I might be, maybe I'm the minority there, but I, I don't want to change Bahrain. Jeddah, however, I understand wanting to change. And as for the future of DRS, maybe it would be nice to be able to get rid of it later on, but I don't really want to see it gone this year. I think that'd be a huge mistake. Let's see how these cars uh, perform at all of these tracks with DRS before we go changing things. Because like I said, these tracks are very unique with where their DRS zones are. And I wanna see how useful it's gonna be at other circuits. If people are overtaking on the Monaco straight because of DRS, then yes, okay, we have a problem. DRS is a bit ridiculous, but I don't know. I just think that it's because of Jetta, it's not because of DRS. DRS is still interesting to me, I think, keeping in that one second gap to try to get that speed advantage. People want to see overtakes, uh, whether it's artificial, whether it's an easy overtake on a straight, I don't really care. I want to see the order change at least a little bit. And some tracks without DRS, there still might not be any overtaking with these new regulations. But you know, we'll see. We'll see, won't we? We'll, we'll see in the coming races, uh, how this all plays out. But that's all I want to say about DRS. I really just think that it's because of these tracks, it is not DRS's fault right now. And the new regulations are doing great. Let's see how they do it. All these newer, um, all the tracks that are coming. Um, and we'll see how DRS fares there. Now, uh, the I guess the last thing I'm going to talk about here um, is if you remember, it seems like ages ago already. I've been talking for a while, haven't I? Uh, Latifi. Uh, it's had a bit of a shocker uh, so far in 2022. Um, and this is a Canadian podcast. I am from southwestern Ontario. Uh, things haven't been going so well for my fellow Canucks in F1. Briefly, uh, Lance Stroll and Aston Martin have had a disappointing start. Uh, although, to be fair, they have brought in a lot of new people. Uh, the new factory is still being built, so brighter days could be ahead. But Stroll was out-qualified by Hulkenberg, who had basically no time in the car in Bahrain. That wasn't a good look, but we're here to talk about Latifi, not Stroll. So, Latifi, um, yikes. Where to start? It seemed like a step forward last year for Latifi, but uh, with a brand new driver joining the team uh, and Alex Albon, Latifi's been there a few years. Um, sure, yes, new regulations, a bit of a new car to drive. It's not like Albon's getting in that same car as last year and then immediately outperforming. But I still think Latifi knows everyone there. He's He should be comfortable there by now. He still has an advantage. And he's a long way off. I mean, in Bahrain, he was he was the, he was the worst driver out there. Uh, it's, it's tough for me to say because, you know, everyone's in a different car. And I think Williams is the slowest. But Latifi has crashed now, too. And 
in the last he's crashed three times in the last three races hasn't he 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 crashed in abu dhabi and now he's crashed twice in saudi arabian in uh the saudi arabian grand prix uh qualifying the race and then yeah the race in abu dhabi so you know that's that's not good and it can't be good for his confidence i really hope he's not going the other way i want to see him improve i think he's got it in him you know i love nicky he's a great guy he's not performing at a high level right now um and you know he he's there for the all the money he brings in and it doesn't really seem to be making an impact on the team anyway people really wanted to see williams take a step forward this year and yeah like i said it, it they look like the slowest car out there um is that because of Mercedes power? I know we talked about that last week. Mercedes power looking a little bit suspect right now. But I think a lot of people are asking right now. I've seen on Twitter, you know, people are saying we have to start questioning whether Latifi deserves to be an F1 at this point. And I, as much as it pains me to say it, I understand it. There's a wealth of young, promising drivers waiting in the ranks. People always complain about pay drivers and the young drivers that don't get their opportunities, like even a Nick DeVries, who I don't rate as high as I would an Oscar Piastri or Teo Percher, who's going to be coming in anytime soon. Um, but yeah, like, oh, there's so many guys who just don't get their chance because of, let's be honest, our Canadian drivers like Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. You know, Lance Stroll's had his moments in F1, right? He's had podiums. He has a pole position in Turkey. I think Lance is a very quality driver in wet conditions. I think he's got a ta- he's got talent there, but uh, to argue that these guys are at the top of the grid in F1 right now, I just don't see how you can make that argument. Um, and it's a shame, you know. I I want to see Canadians in F1, and you know, I, Americans might not think that I care for uh, care for their country, but I would love to see an American driver in F1 too. I want to see North America represented in Formula One. So naturally, I am always going to be a fan of Lance Stroll, and I'm always going to be a fan of Nicholas Latifi, but at the same time, I am a realist, and these guys just aren't performing at the highest level right now, um, and that's all I'll say on that matter. So um, I guess one final thing before I wrap it up here, uh, I want to preview a little something I'm working on. Um, I'm going to have episodes every Monday, uh, of course always talking about the race even if there's a week off i'm going to do a podcast whether it's still talking about last race or just some news um whether if there's two weeks off there's oh there's always stuff to talk about and you know maybe i can get creative for some episodes if maybe maybe in the summer break uh, i'll take a week off but we'll see on that but anyway what i'm working on i'm gonna have some bonus episodes here and there as well and for my first bonus episode, I uh, I want to I want to talk to a friend of mine. I I'm a driver in Raw League Racing League. Uh, it's an F1 2021 PlayStation League, and I want to talk to the founder of the league. He's a great guy. Uh, for a bonus episode, all about sim racing. If you can't get enough of F1, and all you do is you just love to consume Formula One. Uh, esports can honestly be just as entertaining and I'm not lying sure yes I would take real life f1 over watching esports but the 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 esports races are pretty incredible racing as well in fact you probably actually see more like wheel to wheel type stuff in esports 
Um, so if you really, if you want to check out our league, I want to say go to go to YouTube, go to Twitter, go to Facebook, and look up Raw League Racing to get our races. Uh, we have a commentator. Um, he's he's he does an excellent job, and uh, we just raced in in Canada uh, on Friday. Um, that was that was a fun race. We're already about se- I think seven rounds in. So by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, uh, Friday will be our next race. Um, uh, where is it? It's in France. So yeah, if you want to if you want to watch, like I said, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Raleigh Racing. If you want to watch my personal streams, you can go to Twitch uh, and look up Be Crazy. Uh, that's just my personal streams where. Um, it actually might be a little annoying because I'm in a game chat with a couple of my friends from the league and you can't hear their voice. So it's just me talking to no one, but you know, just mute me and, and watch the race if you want to see my point of view. But anyways, I, I highly suggest watching the, the commentary. Uh, Hainsey is his name. He does a great job. So, um, yeah, that, that will do it for the Daniel Ricardo episode of break bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode four next Monday. There's no F1 this Sunday, of course, so who knows what we'll be talking about. Uh, You'll have to tune in to find out. Goodbye.